0: The best Indian food in Nashville and Glasgow, Vietnamese food on the road, and playing bass in Lyle Lovett's large band. This week, we talk to musician Victor Krause. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences, this is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we explore the cuisine of different places in this huge kitchen we call planet Earth. And this week, I have the pleasure of talking to musician, songwriter, and producer Victor Kraus. But first, let me ask you to subscribe to the podcast. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Destination Eat Drink is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or over at radiomisfits.com. You can also listen at my website, destinationeatdrink.com. Victor Krause is an incredibly talented musician who has been the bass player in Lyle Lovett's large band for years. He's also had a distinguished career as a solo artist, a respected songwriter, an arranger, and producer. For me, I first saw Victor when he played bass in Lyle's large band. That's when I found out he was from Champaign, Illinois, the town where I went to college at the University of Illinois. It wasn't until later that I found out that Victor's younger sister is Alison Krauss, also a gifted musician. Victor and I talk about growing up in Champagne, performing with his sister at a very young age, and pizza and Mexican food in his hometown. Plus, we talk Def Leppard t-shirts, Pilsner beer in the Czech Republic, Led Zeppelin records, and playing with Robert Plant. Destination, eat, drink. You know, we're recording this at a funny time because we're right in the middle of this pandemic, and so many of us are stuck in our houses and holed up in apartments. And I'm just wondering how you're doing through this situation.
1: Yeah, it is definitely an interesting time. Um, Yeah, uh, you know, everyone is fortunately uh, healthy, and, you know, just things are a bit slower, uh, which is which is, uh, I think, positive, too. <laughs> all, all you slowing, slowing down, it's been nice to be with the, the family, uh, my, my wife and kids, and, and uh, um, nobody's going totally crazy as of yet. <laughs> good, good, good. So
0: yeah. uh, is your, does your wife cook? Do you cook? Who does most of the cooking in your house?
1: my uh, my wife does uh i i can uh, i can open a can or open <laughs> a, uh you know a can of spaghetti sauce or make nachos but that's a that's about the extent of my uh, <laughs> expertise in that what
0: does she make that you especially enjoy
1: we we do actually we have to admit we do go out a lot so this is a little bit of an an adjustment for us but uh, she makes a, uh, she made a great uh, uh carbonara the other night, and oh, with, uh, with the ham and and, uh, and uh, you know, everyone's wanting to do homemade pizzas, and and uh, that's always good. That makes the kids happy. Seems to please everyone. Yes.
0: <laughs> so you said you like going out, and you live in Nashville these days. Yeah. Once this thing finally lifts, what are what's the first place you're thinking? I got to go there. <laughs> I'm really missing <laughs> such and such a place.
1: We all uh, love Indian. Food. And uh, there's, there's two places that we kind of frequent because they're, they're different enough to, to almost be, to keep it interesting. But we, we pretty much do uh, either Bombay Palace in Nashville uh, on Sundays, uh, almost every, every Sunday, you either alternate between that and, and sitar. Um, there's also a, a terrific uh, Persian restaurant that we go to a bunch that's uh, called House of Kebab. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's been kind of a staple for us, and, and
0: uh, you know, and then there's
1: uh, San Antonio Taco, which has been there forever, and it totally reminds me of uh, of the U of I. It's kind of like it's always uh, oh, playing classic rock. It's uh, for as long as even before <laughs> I moved here in in Nashville, and in uh, uh, I moved here in '92, but would would visit here every once in a while, and it's it's been unchanged. Uh, for as long as I can remember, you know, it's it's always, you know, it's either Steve Miller or, or you know, if you feel that's a, a nice time capsule. Right, it? so right. Oh it's another God. one that pleases everybody.
0: You mentioned uh, Bombay Palace. I had Jason Ringenberg on the podcast from Jason and the Scorchers. Oh, yeah. And I... I think he talked about Bombay Palace and mentioned how much he loved Indian food and taking his wife there. I guess Indian must be must be a pretty big cuisine in Nashville that uh, everyone keeps mentioning Bombay Palace whenever they're on the podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean there there's a few more that have, have popped up uh in the last couple of years, but that one that one always seems to for us that uh you know, really really nice. You know, the, Yeah, it's just always good. And, and Sitar as well. That one, that one's been actually been around even a little longer. It's just different enough that it's. Like okay, I want that one, or I want this one.
0: (laughs) You mentioned the U of I, which is where you grew up. You grew up in Champaign, Illinois, which is where the University of Illinois is. And as long as we're talking home cooking, what about uh, when you were growing up in Champaign? Uh, What kind of dishes did your mom used to make for you that you really liked? Well,
1: it's funny. We we had. uh, I grew up with some food allergies. Okay. And uh, so, which which kind of reduced some things that we could all. All enjoy, but she made it work for us, and and it was always—it was pretty much. I mean, I was—I was trying to imagine that you know—it seemed to change a lot. And I, I, I can't remember really specific things that that she made. Uh, a lot of she used to make like these uh, artichoke hearts, you know, where you just kind of, uh, you know, it would be the whole thing, and you take the leaves off, and you put them in a butter sauce, and oh, just kind of scrape the leaves off those. And, and I always remember really enjoying that. Um, and, and it was it's funny. And my dad's from originally from Hamburg, Germany, and um, oftentimes you know she would. Uh, prepare German dishes you would always call it scary German food and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it still does it that way you know so it was like of klops and and uh, beef rouladen you know and they 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 look terrible but taste great
0: making the making the kraut and all that did you make homemade kraut yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah, that's interesting because your name is spelled V I K T O R, which would be the traditional German spelling, I think. Yes. yes. When did your uh, When did your father come over from Hamburg?
1: I think it was, uh, boy, that's a good question. I, I think it was like fifty one. Okay. And um, came to Ellis Island, and then ended up in Chicago, and uh, he spent some time also at California in, uh, with uh, uh, the Marine Corps. Uh, between the Korean War and the um, uh, Vietnam, so he was. Uh, it was actually was at a, at a nice time where we weren't at at war, um, but that was in California. And then my um, aunt and his mother stayed out in California for years, and eventually Seattle. And so he uh, ended up in, in Chicago, and then back to U of I, and that's where my parents met.
0: I was thinking back; it must be. Gosh, 10, 15 years ago, I saw a little piece, a short little piece of film about uh, your sister, Allison, and there were some old family photographs in it. Now, this may ring a bell, it may not, but someone in that picture was wearing a Death Leopard T-shirt, and this stuck in my brain, <laughs> and I went back and I tried to find it and I couldn't find it, and so I can't remember specifically whether it was maybe you Probably not your father, but someone was wearing a Def Leppard t shirt because I remember it specifically. Do you, were you a big uh, Def Leppard uh, fan when you were a kid?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, still I am. You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, um, and I I think that may have been my dad in the picture. Really? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure. I know exactly where it came. From. A guy
0: from '50s Germany, and he loves Def Leppard.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, we, uh, Allison became. Uh, she did some uh, interviews. She did a, a great interview for Mojo magazine back in the '90s because she's she's a huge fan.
0: Right. And
1: um, and did an interview with uh, with Joe Elliott. And he ended up sending a whole bunch of uh, swag or, or clothing. And so we were all trying on stuff. And if, if, if it's that picture, I think it is my, it is probably my dad in that,
0: oh, that, that is picture.
1: Because it was like, it was, it was great. You know, like it was Def Leppard pants and Def Leppard, you know, uh, you know, anything you could imagine. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we're all, I mean, both my sister and I are big fans.
0: So is that the kind of music that you were growing up with, um, this this sort of hard rock from the 70s and 80s? Well, you know,
1: I, I, actually not for me. You know, like when I was first growing up and kind of getting interested in music, I was, you know, I, I, I loved classical music, uh, film scores, and uh, you know, in particular film scores, and then also uh, when I was first learning how to play bass, I, I really got into playing, to listening to jazz or playing jazz more so just because it was, you know, what was possible on, especially the upright bass. And, um, but then like in high school, you know, somebody started playing, uh, somebody played, uh, um, Led Zeppelin for me for the okay. first time. Right. And that kind of just totally changed everything for me. And it was also uh, the, the yes, nine Oh, uh, wow. Nine Oh one two five record that kind of, like sparked. So uh, it was like right, pretty much right at high school is where I started really getting into, you know, either seventies, seventies uh, rock or R and B. Like, I mean, there was, it was kind of like Led Zeppelin, yeah, that yes record in the police and Stevie wonder and Marvin Gaye. And, and you know, so it, it kind of became like uh, between seventies rock or hard rock and R and B were kind of my um, two things that, you know, by the age 13, I was really getting into.
0: You could do a lot worse than patterning yourself after a bass playing of uh, John Paul Jones or Sting, I guess. Oh, gosh,
1: yes. Yeah. <laughs> do my favorite.
0: You actually went to the University of Illinois. So you're from Champaign, and then you go to the University of Illinois. And as I was thinking about this, I was remembering, because I worked for the radio station, there WPGU so we used yeah. to get to know a lot of the folks who lived in Champagne, who were from Champaign they'd invite us to parties and, and things like that but yeah. you know Champaign is is very much like a lot of big college towns where there's sort of this divide between um, students and townies you know what they called townies
1: yeah and, I remember I was definitely a townie yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah.
0: How, how did you navigate this when you were when you were a student then
1: yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I was kind of a homebody, you know, and, and I actually I started college a year earlier. I mean, like I, I actually um, uh, started kindergarten. I, I have an October birthday, so I started kindergarten when I was four, and then I uh, had enough credits in high school to graduate a year early. So I was sixteen wow. when I started uh, college. Wow. And uh, so this is a little different, you know, and and so I ended up staying staying home the first year. And just kind of commuting between going home. Uh, you know, we, we lived uh, near Westside Park, in, in, and uh, um, so only, you know, five minute drive to campus, it's 10 minutes at, at the most or biking there. And um, I mean, I, I loved growing up there. I think if I could still um, do what I do here, um, I, I would have no problems being, being still a resident in, in Champaign. You know, it's funny. We used to do the. I I had a band called uh, Difficult Listening, uh, and <laughs> and college. Yeah, and uh, we we used to do the psychedelic boneyard show at midnight. Okay. Uh, you know, we we did it maybe three or four times, doing an interview and playing. Our, our stuff at that time. but uh.
0: You're at the U of I. You're majoring in music. You're probably spending a lot of time at the Krannert Center there in oh, yeah, Ur- yeah. Ur- Urbana. But were there places where you would hang out for music? Because I think Champaign is really kind of an underrated music hub because you've got so many young people there and there's always a vibrant scene going on. There certainly was in the late 80s, early 90s when you were there. Where, where did you hang out for music?
1: Well, I, mean, I think it is true. I mean, that, that was such a vibrant... You know, like, and it's—I uh, uh, mean—it seems like you could you could go to see something really interesting uh, nightly. You know, you know, if it was something connected with U of I or or just uh, the the band scene. I mean, I did spend a lot of time at Cranbrook. At uh, both my sister and I did the opera productions there. Is either oh. chorus people. Or um or even a couple of the plays, and so that started for us. Like in the, I think I I, I came across a program is from as early as 1980 when we were in the children's choir. So we we wow, yeah, you would have been really young. Then. Yeah, yeah, loved doing stuff at Cranert, and and you know, like anytime I see Cranert, I go, oh wow, that was such a magical thing to be a a part of all those. um productions, and, and uh, especially from, from an uh, you know eye of a young person. And so we did that for, for a long time. And then um, uh, when I, you know, playing a lot of jazz, I used to uh, play at this place called, you know, where you, you remember Nature's Table.
0: I was going to bring and, up Nature's Table. Yes. Great place yeah, for jazz. That was,
1: yeah. And so I, you know, I made my fingers bleed there a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Just are growing up there you know and and, um, you know the set starts at 9 and ends at 1 you know and um, so just lots and lots of lots and lots of walking uh, bass lines and um, uh, and then when I was in my rock band uh, a lot of times at Mabel's and um, uh, House of Chin yes, and um, mainly those those two you know every once in a while Bradley's you know, and uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> and uh I think our first gig was at Trito's Uptown on the corner. Oh yeah, Green and Sixth. And uh but yeah, I mean um would either go see people, I mean I was probably more more I was always probably more playing than than going out to see people, um, as much other than probably more of the Cranert um stuff happening at Cranert and um I also did the, the Medicare 7, 8, or 9 uh, Dixieland group. Um, I don't know if you remember that group. No, was I all don't. a faculty member. Okay. But they called it Medi- Medicare 7, 8, or 9, which was uh, all people that were on Medicare. They they, re- they, they <laughs> kind of made a joke because everybody's age was, right, right. was at the age of needing Medicare. Right, yeah, right. So.
0: Yeah, Maples was Maples was our hangout. We used to be there all the time, and it was a great little club because you know they would bring through touring acts. I mean, I remember seeing Lone Justice and oh, yeah. Jason and the Scorchers, and you know Jane's Addiction even there. But um, they really supported local music too, and you could go every night of the week it seemed and see a see a really fun local band. You know whether they were doing yeah. original stuff or covers or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I loved playing there. It was. Uh uh yeah really fond memories there, there's actually a um a company that's doing um, oh gosh uh reprints of of logos from yes. from different colleges uh like oh it's called a company called long lost tees and uh i they they made one for um Mabel's so I I had to get
0: one of those. I got one too. I got one too from that company. Oh yeah. Uh, I I still wear it. I uh, love wearing it. My brother came out and visited and said, You still have your Mabel shirt? I was like, No, (laughs) this is this is (laughs) it looks distressed, but it's it's new, you know. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, that's that's
0: great. (laughs) So there were some great places to to chow down in Champagne, Do you have any uh, recollections of places you, you used to like to go? Because one of my favorite things to do was Mabel's was right across Green Street from a place called Taco John's and they stayed open oh, yeah. till <laughs> two in the morning. <laughs> and so we go there right after Mabel, go down the stairs across the street into Taco John's and uh, try to soak up some of that stuff with some grease and Taco John's. Any place you remember going? Yeah.
1: Oh, gosh. Well, uh, yeah, a lot. I mean, uh, of course, Garcia's and uh, yes. um, uh, the, the Flying uh, <laughs> Tomato Brothers. Um, Trino's, um, if you remember, on on the corner of Goodwin and, oh, gosh, it's like right on the corner of the music school. There's a place called Trino's. Yes. Or, and I, I guess prior to that, it was called Prenz in the 60s or something. And that was a great venue slash place to eat. And then, uh, and I think that the, the, uh, Coslo's, uh, which oh, was, uh <laughs> the, um, I guess same ownership and then, yes. um, um, and then Jolly Roger, the pizza place in, in, uh, 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 in Urbana. And then, um, I'm trying to think if, uh, well, the, the steak and shake on, 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 uh, Green Street was a was a good, That <laughs> was sad to see that one go.
0: So you graduated, you graduated University of Illinois, and it sounds like you pretty much headed straight to Nashville from there.
1: Yeah, I, 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 actually, I, I, there was one year in between where I graduated and, and it was kind of like all signs were kind of showing that I, I should, um, you know, I, I'd made some trips down there and it felt like, oh wow, okay, this feels like a, Maybe something good to do, and uh, and you know my sister's career was was taking off, and and went on a, a a couple bus trips with her. I mean, it had been taking off for a long time prior to then. This was in '92 uh, that I actually went down there, and and it was just like, wow, this is this seems like a kind of a, a, a neat thing to do. And then I started to get some work there, and then eventually I was taking I was kind of commuting once a week between um champagne and in Nashville and uh yeah it uh, it's been I can't believe I've been here this, now this long it'll be almost um, thirty years, yeah almost thirty years, and I still feel like I'm from champagne but uh it's <laughs> <laughs> right right. You know, even though I've been here a little longer now.
0: So you, you first came into my consciousness when I I was going to see Lyle Lovett, mm-hmm. and he always introduces the whole large band, and he said, from Champaign, Illinois, Victor Krauss. Yeah. And I thought— He's from Champagne. That you know, I felt like, oh, you know, he's. He, I kind of have a part of him. You know, uh, it, it was just so yeah. neat to see that because I had no idea. Um, how how did you originally meet up with Lyle? How did that get going? Because you were you were fairly young at that point.
1: Yeah, I was twenty four when I. It was funny. I I, I remember buying or hearing um, the Lyle Lovett in uh, his large band record, which came out in eighty eight, and I remember you know, I had, I had played a lot with the, the Garvey band and they'd played a lot of, of, um, you know, the big band and, and, uh, uh, big band jazz music. And, and, uh, and I always loved that. And, and when, you know, it seemed like it was kind of a combination of, of his spin on it. And I was like, wow, I feel like I could, I could do that. <laughs> and, uh, um it seems like as you know it's just I really liked what what he was doing and then, and then it was then he came out with the Joshua Judge's Ruth record and mm-hmm. I guess it was in 91 and I said wow this is really cool and um so I you know it, it I I started to kind of find out who was behind his organization you know, like certain players and his management and um and I just kind of started putting feelers out that I was really interested in this and, and doing it, and, um, and and at the time, uh, Ken Levitan was his uh, manager, and I would, I had met him uh, a couple times um, from playing with other people, and and I called him and I said I would love to play with Lyle if, if he ever needs a bass player, and, and you know, and if, if, um, at the time he said, well, you know, he doesn't need anybody right now, but uh, we'll keep you in mind. And it was, it was very nice, and and, um, and and I guess this was the summer of. Uh, Ninety-four. I was having a really lean <laughs> couple of months of, right. of work. And uh, so I uh, thought, well, maybe I'll just check in with him again and with Ken uh, Levitan again just to see, you know, if, if it's not specifically for Lyle, you know, for somebody else that he was managing. And, and bef- you know, so I called him up and and uh, before I could finish the sentence, he said, oh, uh, Lyle may need a bass <laughs> player. And um, so it was, it was you know really good timing, and and I, uh, you know, it was uh, just about the the point where he was going to release his "I Love Everybody" record, which came out in ninety four, and uh, so he wanted to meet me beforehand. Like one of the first questions was, "How long is his hair?" <laughs> <laughs> <No> way, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, you know I mean because he's, he's a visual person, he's always an aesthetic, and I think you know he wants to his group of people is it's kind of like a, um, you know, not that he should make a, uh, an assumption that I'm one person or another, um, but uh, I, I think he, you know, he wants a certain look and he wants a certain personality and, and that's what I think has kind of worked in the, in the, in the band for years and years. So I, I met up with him and then about 10 days before uh, the the, projected tour for me is, uh, was to start. That's when I got the call saying, yes, you got the gig. And uh, <laughs> better and so, learn the songs you know, quick, I, <laughs> Victor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, I was, I, you know, he was I was OK to have a music stand out there and have charts that were accurate. And and he had one guy, um, the guy before me, um, they kind of transitioned between the two of us, you know, where he did the first uh, I think week out there, I kind of watched what he did, and then and then eventually he left, and then I stepped in, and, and I've pretty much been there uh, for the exception of, of a couple of tours uh, ever since.
0: Lyle's band, the the large band, the band that you're in, it's got to be one of the tightest live groups I've ever seen in my life.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: and. <laughs> is it is that the product of having the best players is that the product of rehearsing all the time is that a product of some kind of combination of those things
1: well it's funny it it is i think it is mainly players because we we barely rehearse i think the the most we ever rehearsed was for uh we did a tour in 95 where we um actually went into a rehearsal hall for about four days and, and just played through everything but pretty much any time that we go and do a tour it's like we might run everything or right uh, might play through a few things the night before uh, otherwise it's it's just uh yeah i think it's just it's you know i mean a lot of us have been around for a really long time so we don't uh, you know we all know it <laughs> but uh, but yeah for the most part it's it's uh, i i think it is the players and just the chemistry and it's kind of him you know being aware of what people can do and and uh, you know and then there was rehearsal during sound check you know a lot of the time if, if we're introducing a tune that didn't that we haven't played for a while or, or you know or maybe going over something that maybe didn't go over as well the night before in rehearsal I mean and during the show
0: right right so you get to you get to travel a lot during this time in the in the 90s and through the 2000s. Do you have any places where you look on the tour itinerary and go, yes, we're going to city XYZ. I Y, Z. I can't wait to go to this restaurant or that. Re- you know, how, how does how does eating on the road work for you?
1: Well, I mean, for the most part, you know, it, it's catered every every night. So a, a lot of the time it's. Um, you know, it's pretty much whatever they're providing for us, which is kind of a, you know, it, it, it's got some staples, but it does change from night to night sometimes. Um, boy, I'm trying to think. It, uh, there used to be a Vietnamese restaurant in Los Gatos, California, that uh, that I would hit every time that was called the Green Papaya. Oh, and good. that's gone away, oh, no. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Boy, yeah. um uh, uh, in Chicago, uh, I have to do Lu- luminales.
0: <laughs> yes, the pizza in
1: Glasgow, Scotland. My favorite, one of my favorite Indian restaurants of all time, called Mother India. Oh, cool! And there used to be another place. I'm trying to remember that there was a place in in London that was spectacular.
0: I love I love Glasgow. It's one of my favorite European cities because I think it's so under the radar for a lot of people. And it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit rough and tumble around the edges a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. But I love that. I love that city. What uh, kind of reception does the band get in places like Glasgow?
1: European audiences, I mean, it's almost cliche to say, but it is it is, um, it is different. Um, the, uh, you know, where it's almost kind of a very attentive but a, but appreciative audience. And um, like in, in some ways, uh, I don't know. This may be too much of a blanket statement, but I mean, it's it's almost kind of you know versus the states where it can be as much of a, as an event or even a get together or party to go see a show. Uh, whereas if you go to the, the um, you know overseas, a lot of the time it feels like okay, we're this is the listening time, hmm. and uh, <laughs> um, and then afterward. You know, talk about it a little bit. I don't know if that's. Uh, I, I think they're both. They're both great in a lot of ways.
0: Sure, sure. So yeah. let's talk. Uh, let's talk beverages because the uh, show is destination eat drink. um <laughs> uh, What kind of stuff do you like to to relax with as far as a beverage goes, Victor?
1: Oh gosh, I'm I'm extremely boring. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, you know I I probably have a, a a drink maybe once or twice a year. Um, uh, but have been my, my go to it. I'm totally addicted to fizzy water because I, I kicked, uh, like Perrier and, and, uh, uh, um, okay. San Pellegrino, you know, because, uh, I, um, I, I kicked, um, caffeine a couple of years ago. Okay. So I stole like carbonation, but I, I don't, uh, I was totally addicted to, uh, Diet Coke. <laughs> I don't do it anyway. <laughs> but I, I. Your one I, vice. Think yeah, yeah. Um but I think the best beer I ever tasted was uh Pilsner Urquell about um we were on a I did it was a tour with my group and we actually went to the Czech Republic and okay. um and this was uh I, I guess it was the the t- the town was Pils yes. and um and uh we were like in the same town as the factory and um, I couldn't believe the difference between something that hadn't been on the shelf or anything for any length of time, and uh, that was amazing to me. Like, and, I, and every once in a while, they'll they'll try to, I say, oh yeah, Pilsner Urquell would be, or, 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 or however you pronounce it, um, would be amazing. And, and it's it's not as you know, just having I guess coming from the Czech Republic and having all that time possibly not as refrigerated as whatever that was, you know, isn't quite the same, but that was the most amazing beer experience i ever had. And and I I do like Sapporo every once in a while.
0: (laughs) I just found out that uh, on my father's side, there's some Czech, uh, Bohemian, Southern Bohemian. And so it's funny you bring that up because... My girlfriend and I were, we had a trip to Italy that got canceled because of the pandemic. And now we're trying to figure oh, right. out when this thing opens back up where we're going to go. And she's insisting that we go to uh, to Southern uh, Czech Republic, to Bohemia, and see these towns. And wow. Pils is definitely going to be one of the places where we're going to go and, and check out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I get a, I did a band, um, we did 10 shows in the Czech Republic only. Uh, we were we were gone for twelve days and did ten shows and, oh, well, and uh, <laughs> uh, but it was it was amazing and just uh, how exciting. I mean, again, talk about audiences that just like hadn't uh, never met or been familiar with anything that I had done before. You know, this was under my group's name, and just so nice and receptive. And it was you know it felt like it was out of a, a movie set. I felt like a total rock star. Okay? <laughs> That's great that's great <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: people say that you know the, the respect that you get as a musician is on a whole different level in a lot of European yeah. places. I also hear uh, musicians talk about Japan in the same in the same way um, with the yeah. respect that they get but I wanted to ask you because you mentioned you mentioned Led Zeppelin earlier and I know on your solo album I think in like 2005, you did a cover of the Robert Plant song. This wasn't a Zeppelin song. This was on his second solo album, but you did a cover of uh, Big Log. Um, Allison, your sister, she sang on it. Um, And -hmm. it's a really cool version. It's, you know, that song is a little ethereal for a Robert Plant song. Yours was even more, it like took it to a different level of floating in the clouds a little bit. And then it was like two years later, Allison is playing with Robert Plant. That must have been kind of yeah. surreal in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I always liked that that song, um, "Big Log," and and um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of their their teaming up somehow um, came about with the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and then they found that they oh, had a chemistry. And okay, that's how the record came out. Uh, and then uh, a number of years later, we did a uh, a Leadbelly uh, tribute show. Where uh, I, I played on that with, with the two of them and, and Buddy Miller, and uh, that was a that was a big treat.
0: What's uh, what's your favorite Lead Belly song to play
1: live? Oh gosh, I mean Lead Belly song. Yes. Um, well, gosh, we um, we did we we did kind of rearrangements of them. Right. Um, so that the one, I guess the tune that we did was uh, one of them was Can't You Line Them. And, um, oh gosh, that was probably the one, uh, or Follow Me Down, we did, did a couple of those. And then, and then we also did actually a version of uh, Gallows Pole. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, which was, was, was exciting, because that was, it may have been my favorite uh, tune to listen to on um, Led Zeppelin 3.
0: Yeah, what a great record. That, that might be my favorite yeah. Led Zeppelin record. Um, yeah, I go between that and physical graffiti. Um, as far as a favorite yeah. goes, uh, t- two of the I don't know, maybe lesser appreciated uh, Led Zeppelin records that are out there.
1: Oh yeah, I love all of them.
0: Definitely. So you know, you do a lot of work in like soundtracks and television, and then I listen to your solo records, and they also have this kind of. Um, Dreamy movie cinematic quality to them. Do you think in those terms when you're composing in cinematic terms?
1: Uh, you know, I, I used to listen to stuff like that. You know, just uh, you know, was like a huge fan of John Williams and, and later um, Thomas Newman and and uh, uh, just kinda, you know, I, I you know, I'd always be listening to stuff like that when when I was playing with Legos when I was a little <laughs> kid. <laughs> And uh, I don't know, I, I, I loved that it, it provided some kind of emotion that you didn't necessarily um, were being told by, you know, any kind of lyrical content. Mm-hmm. Hearing music that has some kind of emotional content, but you can kind of fill in the blanks mm-hmm. of, of, of what the intent of the writer is or what the, the, the scene was. It's almost like, um, you know, I, I, I love hearing soundtrack music where the forms are so odd that you can tell that they were probably being weaved around some kind of visual or, um, or some kind of dialogue. So the phrases are odd and, um, you know, and, and and the design of the, of the music to begin with is, is telling the, the, uh, the listener or the viewer an emotion that may not be completely conveyed by dialogue or a visual so it's 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 adding this other part to it and um, I, I think that I, I, I love doing that I, and I, I think it's just kind of the, the music that I I, I I don't know if I actually have a, a, like a storyline in mind when I'm doing something it's just it's more like how does it make me feel and uh, uh, if there's an emotional part of me that comes out you know it's, it's almost like in the same way as lyrics that mm-hmm. um if somebody says something how does that make you feel and uh or or, or how do you do you want to you want to believe them and I, I think that's yeah that that's probably you know like like even just in terms of a, a performance or, or or writing something that that i wanted to make you feel a certain way
0: when you're doing a soundtrack do do they just say okay Victor we want something he's it's a dark night he's driving alone in a car or do they say here's the scene and send you a video and say okay we need something for this how how does that normally work
1: Well uh, sometimes it, 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 they they call it spotting you know which which they say okay from this point you know a lot of the time the director will have an idea okay I want something to happen here you know um and uh, pivot from that and maybe possibly exit by this point. You know, if they have something in mind or if they don't have something in mind, then kind of try to shape it. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time something will be cut cut to to something shorter than what you would, you know, there's lots of editing after the point, Um, you know, and it can be something that's like a a full-blown theme or it can just be one note that goes, oh, okay, Hmm. you know, a little bit of, you know right, here, right. Um, and um, yeah, I, um, I love doing that stuff. I, I had the opportunity years ago to do the Sundance Composers Lab, which was a fellowship that's awarded to people uh, that apply for it. Oh, and, cool!
0: Um,
1: and it was like uh, I would kind of describe it as being like a um, being on an episode of Project Runway, except nobody gets. <laughs> gets thrown out you know everybody does the same scene and everybody gets to then watch what their interpretation of it was and it's uh, that, that's um, got to
0: be a little stressful being up there in front of all those people getting critiqued like that
1: yeah it, it, it was a little bit but but kind of exciting you know i um i i think yeah, uh, i i was it's funny i think i think fear in 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 music or anything that that allows there to be something that could go wrong, is uh, is healthy, as opposed <laughs> to knowing that you <laughs> and, you know, as opposed to knowing that you've got this. Oh, this is going to be a walk in the park, or this is totally easy. I always think it's more um, sometimes it's more rewarding, and sometimes the the uh, results are better if if you're scared at the same time.
0: Brings out your best. You really have to try hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're
0: not phoning it's, it's it It's funny,
1: in. like it's almost like rehearsals, you know, like if you've playing with someone in rehearsal for the first time, sometimes the rehearsal is great. And then the the, the show is, is, is not as great because you're off your guard a little bit.
0: So during this pandemic, are you able to get into the studio? Do you have a space in your house? Are you able to go to your studio? How, how is that working for you right now?
1: Yeah, we have a, we have a space in the house. And so it's, um, uh, it's been fine in terms of that. Actually, there was uh, it was fortunate I I had a bit of work that I had to do remotely anyway. So so some of the stuff like I was supposed to get together with uh, there's a, a guy that I work with um, a woman that, that I work with uh, named Erin Bodie, who um, is this terrific singer and uh, based out of St. Louis, and she's. Um, uh, on occasion has me do these recordings where uh, where we get to, you know, just traditional recording where I play almost all the instruments and engineer mm-hmm. and then she um, will eventually sing. And the only obstacle we have now is that we have to send each other files. It's, right, right. Um, It's kind of the same. It's almost the same process, you know, it, which is, uh, it's, it's great that we live in an era where we can do that, you know, with technology, um, mm-hmm. you know, here's my tracks, so and I'll send you this. So, And, and it's funny, there's, there's been a few people that have kind of, um, I've, I've done more uh, remote recording probably during this period than I, than I can in a while, can remember in a while.
0: <laughs> Do you have any uh, new ideas that you're working on, any new music that uh, you've got coming out under your name, Victor?
1: Not under my name. Um, uh, the, I mean, the last thing that I had uh, come out under my name was a duet record. That I did with a uh, uh, tremendous harpist from actually from Scotland, uh, uh, Maeve Gilchrist, uh, who I met at the Berkeley School of Music. Um, and uh, we, we, did, we did this album that came out, I guess, about two years ago. And, uh, but uh, nothing under my name. Uh, prior to this, I was doing kind of a, uh, a monthly show at a place called uh, Rudy's Jazz Club, Jazz Room. Uh, here in town and we're doing a a lot of those you know a lot of the tunes from my solo albums as well as uh, an occasional meeting here or there.
0: (laughs) Well hopefully this uh, pandemic will lift soon enough and we can see you back out on the road or maybe at Rudy's in Nashville or somewhere nearby where we can see you perform Victor and it's been a Joy talking to you today. It's been fun talking, reminiscing about Champagne, one of my favorite places. Not exactly a, a hot spot as far as the foodie world is concerned, but a place that I love and a place that you have a fond memory of as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, this has been a treat.
0: Victor Krauss just seems like the nicest guy ever. I think I could bring up any style or genre of music and he'd have something interesting to say. Well, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. While you're waiting for next week's show, go to DestinationEatDrink.com. There, I've got virtual foodie tours of over 40 cities. Just the thing to scratch your foodie travel jones while we're all on lockdown. Plus, I just posted a piece on the blog about the best sweet treat in Madrid. And surprise, it's not churros and chocolate. And speaking of chocolate, next week... It's all about chocolate on the podcast. Chocolate from Costa Rica, chocolate from Peru, and learning chocolate making in Hawaii. That's next week on the podcast. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.